quickly. It's a draw. It's a draw. And then she gets it back. Oh, you're kidding me. And the Sunshine Coast Lightning have achieved the unthinkable. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Inner Circle, where we talk all things netball. Sherelle McMahon with you alongside Bianca Chatfield, as always. Now, B, before we do get into the netball, I have to ask you about your weekend, or specifically your Queen's birthday Monday. <laughs> you were dressed up as a little mermaid going oh. down the ice slide at the big freezer. The G. How, how was the experience? Tell oh, us about it, it was just so fun. I think once I'd sorted my outfit out and I thought... That was stressful, wasn't it? It was so stressful. <laughs> but once I had it, and you know, Little Mermaid to me, I, I said it um, before I went down the slide around, you know, as a defender in netball, you never considered to be elegant or graceful <laughs> or little or any of that. So I felt like it was the total opposite to what everybody probably knows me as on the netball court. Um, but it was, yeah, it was just such a fun day. And, you know, we were getting ready actually beforehand and Neil Danaher has come up to me and he wanted to know the score at Magpies Vixens and he knew the whole netball yeah. community were getting behind fight MND and yeah it was just so fun yet so cold like like you said it just takes your breath away and it's so hard to breathe once you get in the water I mean lucky it lasts for a couple of seconds because we all get got out well, as quickly it lasts as we for could. a couple of seconds for some of you I mean they did make me stay in and, and shoot, shoot a goal, goal. Yes. so that was a little bit challenging but anyway it's well, not about you that shooters you always have to do the glory stuff I know so. it's all about us we do but no it was it was a really great day I was very uh privileged to be involved well exactly and, and what an amazing cause um and I I know the netball teams both had a member of the Danaher fa- family come in to speak to them about the cause and it, it really is amazing and it's great for the netball community to get behind that as well because we all know what a great connection that football and netball has. Yeah, that's right. And so many people know somebody or have been affected mm. by MND yeah, in some amazing, way and so that's when it really highlighted to me is that, you know, I was getting so many messages on Instagram from people just telling me about, you know, their uncle or their sister or a family member that they knew that have suffered from it and how grateful they are that we all go out there and do things like this. And I mean, it's such a simple thing for us to do, but yeah, yeah. I mean, amazing. And they raised nearly $5 million just yeah. this year. Just, incredible. Oh, it's, it's so incredible. Incredible. So. Well, congratulations and well done. I think Thank you, you did the netball uh, supporters and fans. Very, we were all very, very <laughs> proud of you. It was fantastic. Now, Let's get into the netball because it was another incredible round of Suncorp Super Netball, that's for sure. I wanted to start with another draw oh. for the fever, the third in four weeks. Hang on, now, is it annoying you now, the draw? Do you know what? You asked me about this, I think, after the first draw <laughs> yes. that it was against the Vixens and I was like, no, well, you know, it happens. We'll let it stand, let it go. I think you've. I think I've come around because <laughs> how many draws can we have in one season? We need result. We do need results, don't we? We we do need results. I totally agree. And I mean, maybe, do we go down to putting the two goalkeepers and having a shootout or something? Well, do you think I that would work. Well, look, I don't <laughs> mind the idea of doing something completely different. There's been a few different ideas. A shootout. Everyone on the team has to have a shot. Then, then the defenders would find what it's really like. You know, they will sprout that they can be <laughs> goal shooters. I was actually, I'd love to hear um, what all of our listeners think, what they think should happen. Because, I mean, yes, you can play extra time, but we know that comes down to a bit of a broadcast issue mm. with how much time is actually set aside to showcase the game. Uh, I heard somebody say, do you go back and count 
who's won the most bonus points in that game and that determines who's the actual winner. So you don't actually have to play any extra time. I'm not sure the teams or the players would be very happy with that. Well, for example, in the Vixens' uh, fever first draw of the, of, um, the fever season, yep. they that would have still been split because we won – there was, I think, the oh, so two each. Yeah, well, actually, one each, and then two quarters were drawn. Okay, so then you'd ha- you'd have to go to your penalty shootout. Uh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> sometimes, you know, how far you'd have to kind of wind it back. Quite well, I a was bit. listening to an interview with Marnie on the uh, Telstra Netball Show, yes. and Marnie did say that it's definitely something that they're going to look at, and they'll put it to this new independent commission mm. and see what comes out of that. That they'll make sure they include feedback from the fans, from the players, from the clubs. Um, but you know, get a consensus, and you know what, if the consensus Consensus is that the draw stays, then the draw stays. So mm. it's good that they're going to look into it, though. Yeah, that's right. And uh, the other thing to come out of that, and Caitlin Bassett uh, posted about this on her Facebook page, was around the timing what debacle at the end of that game. Well, the, what she said was very true. There was um, the scores were, I think, the fev- the scores were level. Uh, with about a minute to go, um, and Fever had the centre pass. They were playing it around, and as Caitlin Bassett rightly said, now because of the bonus points available for each quarter, the teams are being much more clever with the way yeah. they approach that. If the if the scores are tight, they either hold on to the ball and try and score late, or have to score quickly. So that they're much more aware of that at the end of quarters, and certainly at the end of the, the game. So the Fever team were trying to hold possession. And so they could score to go one up and not leave the Giants with enough time to score. Unfortunately, they turned it over. 25 seconds to go. Baseline throw in for the Giants. The ball came down. Five seconds to go, the ball comes into Caitlin Bassett's hand. So she thinks she's still got five seconds. Not enough time for the Giants to score again. But then the final whistle went with, I think it was about four seconds to go Mm. on the clock. And I know it's only a couple of seconds, but that was the difference of winning the game and drawing the game because the clock at the stadium and the one that we were seeing on the telecast did not match the clock from the timer's bench. Okay. So so the timer's bench, that clock there is the actual That's clock. That's the official clock. That's the official one. And we know the umpires have a little device that they wear on their arms, which actually vibrates when its time is up. So that's how they know. It's not someone yelling out. There's no delay in that. It's just a signal that they get straight away. And that's when time is up. And just to clarify too, the ball has to be fully through the ring uh, before the umpire's whistle sounds. So, so it doesn't, time not finishes, on its way down, it has no, to be it has actually to be fully, fully through. through. And it's not, sometimes there's sirens and other things that happen, but it's on the umpire's whistle because there was another game earlier in the season where that's it came down to that final second, but it is on the umpire's whistle, so it's not on anything else. They've got the timer, and when their whistle goes, that's when the game ends. So keep going with Wow. So my thought was around the scoreboard clock. So they do, obviously, we find as, you know, especially going into the last five minutes of a game, umpires will call time more often when the ball goes out of court, you know, the ball girls are getting it quick enough, whatever it might be, the umpires will call time, stop time, allow the ball to get to the sideline for a throw-in, then they start it again. Again. But they do that right at the very end of the game. And so is that what would have happened? The scoreboard clock obviously has just missed a couple of seconds along the way when the umpires have been stopping the official clock. And that's where the confusion happens when you get right down to the very end. Yes, yeah, so, and I think that's what's happened. And unfortunately, they're not linked. And so we need to find a way as a sport to link these things because we cannot be having games decided when the athletes and the teams are trying to manage the time. Yeah. 
and and then us making an error because the clocks don't match. We cannot be having that anymore. Another no, bug and with technology as well. It's technology is far advanced. We can have two clocks. Surely we, surely, surely we can find. A way I reckon to I can figure that out. The <laughs> other one you you mentioned it then towards the end of a game and in this final minute. There, I think the time was held three or four times because there was a penalty that they were setting. The ball went out of court, so they held time. While, so my question is, why are we holding time in that minute? Why is that minute more important than, let's say, the seventh minute of the quarter mm-hmm. when the ball's gone out of court? Now, I get it if it's been delayed for some reason. Yes, hold the time. But if it's just the general play... I don't get why in that minute we're holding every single second. And if we're doing it, that's fine. Let's do it all the time. Yeah. But if we're not, I just think we approach that final minute in the same way we approach the rest of the game from an umpiring perspective. Yeah, that's a really good point. I haven't thought about that before, that you, you often find in the heat of the battle at the very end of the game, that's when the umpires are stopping things more often. It almost adds to the chaos because mm. everyone's, you know, thinking and now, you know, the game's being stopped more and you've got to go quickly go and get the ball, you know, so you can start the play again. We should be doing that from the very first mm. quarter. If the umpires feel the need to hold time, do it from the very start. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's actually really good. I think that's an easy thing to make. And it would be interesting to know, you know, we were talking about Sharon Kelly uh, and the coaches of the umpires. And I wonder if that's the kind of feedback they get. Um, do you reckon Fever, sorry, Giants could put in a complaint? And where does that go? Does anything happen if they do actually make an official complaint to Suncorp Super Netball? Would it be a complaint? I don't know. They, I, I, I wouldn't think that would be uh, totally unreasonable for them to put uh, some sort of submission in to say this is not right, although that's where we are. They, I don't think that they've got a leg to stand on yeah. because at the end of the day, it is the umpire's whistle. That That's the rules that we're bound by at the moment. I just think it's a from a visible point of view when we're in the stadium or we're watching at home on TV, if we're running the clock down, let's get get it running to the right time. Mm. What do you do as a coach in that situation? Mm. Because you do want to be strategic. You do want to make sure you get all the bonus points. You do want to make sure that the other team don't have an opportunity to score. You know, you want to hold enough time for you to get a goal in, but you don't want to have enough time for them to (laughs) be able to take the next centre pass and go for it. And teams are training this. Without doubt, they are training the final 10 seconds of a game whether you're one down or a draw or one up they or, or 30 seconds, yeah. do we have time to hold on? They are absolutely training that. So, Well, I hope Fever are because they've had three <laughs> draws now and <laughs> I can just imagine Stacey at their training sessions. Yes. <laughs> okay, we've got 30 yeah, seconds to go. We've got two minutes to go. Let's <laughs> what are try we and do? play this out and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on from that game because there were some really amazing games across the, the, <laughs> across the weekend. I wanted to have a look at the Swifts again. Mm. Um, they've had an amazing season. They've beaten the, the Vixens for the first time in Suncorp Super Netball this year. They've beaten Firebirds in Queensland for the first time since round one, 2010. Mm. That's a long time ago. Um, so they are flying on the weekend. We haven't had confirmation of um, the injury to Maddie Proud yet. Didn't look good from a knee perspective. She's their captain. She has been in outstanding form and her combination with Paige Hadley has just been one to behold. What sort of impact does losing an athlete like that at this stage of a really solid start to a season have? 
Look, I actually think it has a huge impact. And, the, I mean, you saw it on all the girls' faces. You saw it on Bryony Akel's face. You know, at the end of the game, they're hugging Maddie. Like, there's Maddie Turner was crying. Mm. She is the nucleus of that yeah. team, not just as a captain on court, but, you know, as the fun-loving, She's you know. She's got such a great energy. Great personality. Mm. She gets around everybody. She just has a really beautiful kind of heart to her. And you can see that mm. in the way that all the girls respond to her. I think we don't have confirmation yet what, concerns me is the fact that she said in an interview uh, during the game that she heard a pop and we've heard that quite often with people that do their ACLs so you know fingers crossed she hasn't done it but um, I I don't think uh, that the news will be great um, after she has her scans. I I think it's really tough and do you know what it reminds me of Sherelle? It reminds me of that year and I think it was 2011 uh, was it 2011? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2011 when um, we were playing Firebirds and you went down and you had done your Achilles and yes. the first thing you did, you looked at me and I was on the transverse line and you were in the goal, um, you were in the goal third. third. <laughs> Couldn't even think of that. Uh, and you looked at me and you're like, somebody's kicked me. And <laughs> Claire, say that. Yeah, you did. You said oh, it straight I? to someone's kicked me, B. Someone's kicked me. And Claire McMinimum, who you were playing on at the time. Who was, has probably kicked me in the past. Let's probably kicked no, you No, no, no. She wouldn't have. She, wouldn't she was no idea. You, you were out on your own. I was. I was. <laughs> um, but when you went down and, you know, we had to keep playing that game, I couldn't even tell you if we won or lost it. But you were in the medical room and weren't in the change room um, at the end of the game. And I remember all the girls just were so emotional. They were just in shock. They didn't know Mm. what to do. They didn't know how to react. And we were in a huddle and you were still in the medical room and you could just see the look on everybody's faces like, what do we do now? Mm. Because when you've got a player, you know, like yourself, um, when you're captain of the club and the the team is built around you, you know, and Mm. I feel like Maddie's a bit the same in that the team is built around her in a way that the way they move and ball up and down the court, she is just that strong player and you know the girls couldn't even talk to you after the game they couldn't even come into the medical room could they because they were all a bit upset and they didn't know how to respond they didn't know how you were going to be and it was a world cup year and (laughs) meanwhile you just came in and kept poking the area where my Achilles used to be yeah I was trying to keep it lighthearted, and I'm like oh you'll be right mate (laughs) where's your Achilles gone oh it's up your calf that's uh, not great (laughs) um but it does have a huge effect Mm. um and so I know Swift still went on and had, I think, one of their best quarters anyway yeah, once Maddie was off the court. But it's going to take a lot for them to all step up and, and make sure that they support their teammate but also continue this amazing form that they're in. Mm. I, mean, I mean, they're, I think, three games clear on top of the ladder yeah. when you take away all the bonus points. Yeah. Like that. It is incredible at halfway point of the year to be that far clear on top of the ladder. And, you know, you can't question now the decisions that the Aussie Diamonds made in mm. taking Sarah Clow and Paige Hadley into that Diamonds team because Sarah Clow had an incredible game on the weekend. Yeah. I thought she really stepped up to it. She's playing great. The pressure's on her and she's standing up and yeah. that's all you want from those girls. Yeah, she is. And Paige Hadley just keeps on keeping on. Um, so I... I have a sense that, you know, as you say, Maddie Proud is a, a real strong leader in, in that group, but, gee, they've got a lot of strength right over that court. So yeah. the, the challenge ahead for them um, is to pull together and I've got a feeling that they will. I've got no doubt that Maddie will still continue providing that energy, yep. but from just a slightly different angle. So And don't ever underestimate 
their coach, Bryony Acor. Mm. We know Bryony because we yes. used to play against yes. her. She was <laughs> such a formidable part of the yeah. Swifts lineup yeah. when the well, Swifts right. were so dominant. Mm. And it was always, you know, the Phoenix and the Swifts and the Thunderbirds that were the three dominant teams back in the Commonwealth Bank Trophy. And Bryony Acor was the wing attack in that side. Yeah, and she knows how to bring a team together. Mm. She knows how to make it work and how to win a premiership. So don't ever underestimate that power no, she has. My burning question for you is, I was at the Darwin game, so first ever Suncorp yes. Super Netball game in Darwin, and um, you know it was it was a great game, it was a tight game, we got to the end, and all you want to do is grab a player to interview them. However, the players, and we've done it forever and ever and ever and ever, Sherelle, the huddle, the little rah, 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 <laughs> cheers to everybody, thank the umpires, thank the other team. Kumbaya circle <laughs> that is created after yes, a game. Yes. Should we still be doing this? You don't like it. Give me a yes or a no. Well, as a courtside reporter, which I have been before, uh, my answer would be no. <laughs> I would say, come and talk to me. I'm standing on the court waiting for you. Um, I don't know. Do you know what? I think there's some parts of netball for me that are kind of unique to netball, um, one of them being the way the athletes interact with the crowd. They go and sign after the games. Not many elite sports do that. They they come together, give each other three cheers. Is it a bit corny? Maybe. But uh, there's just the traditionalist in me that likes it. Really? You want to get rid of it. It's got to go. No. And I'm all for sportsmanship. I'm all for shaking each other's hand at the end of the game. But I just think it's... Yes, it's annoying as a reporter because you're trying to interview the player and they're still doing that. And, you know, I had to pull Laura Langman out of it to talk to her. Um, But you want the real emotion too from them. So you don't – like players then get time to kind of, you know, take a breath and and (laughs) compose themselves before you get to interview them. So you don't necessarily get the rawness after Mm. a game. But I I just think it it reminds me of what – you do when you're in under 11s and under 13s and under 15s. And, and I know it sets a good example for young girls. However, I just think we this is the elite game. And you shake hands and you say great game to your opponent and you walk off and you get back to your team. And I think that's just how we have to do it. I just don't think it sends a great image for netball that we all stand around in a circle Saying rah, rah, rah. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, I'd love to know everybody else's yeah, thoughts well, on let it. Yeah, well, let us know. I kind of get a bit of cringe um, sometimes with the AFL when we go into the rooms and hear them singing the song, which eight times out of ten they don't want to be doing, yes. but they do it because it's, it's there for tradition. the cameras. So, yeah. you know, I think there's bits and pieces that are special to a sport. So I say keep it, you no, say I lose say, it. I say it's got to go. It's got to go. And I, do you remember when we combined ANZ champs? So it was the first time there was five Aussie teams, five New Zealand teams, and New Zealand girls didn't do that. So they used to do it within their own team and that was it. So they used to say three cheers for the other team, three cheers, whatever. And I remember those that first year, it was kind of awkward because both teams were like, well, the Australian girls all come right, together with the it. other team. Don't we do, we do it internationally though, don't we? Yeah, I think we Come do. Come together. So maybe New Zealand were doing it differently. Well, yeah, and I think we kind of like then forced them to, forced them to do <laughs> what we usually it. do. And yeah, I don't want to, I don't want anyone to think it's because I don't want to show, you know, sportsmanship or be, you know, congratulate the other team on a great effort, whatever it is. I just think we need to move on. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> we are going to move on too, because I, I've, 
kind of felt like I've escaped the Vixens conversation, but we will be having it after the break because um, we actually, on the radio station that I'm on, on uh, RSN, on The Breakfast Club, we spoke to Ash Brazel earlier this morning. So we wanted to play a couple of grabs from her about the week that they've had post their Swiss loss and pre their massive Vixens win. So we'll tie in some conversation around both teams there because she had some really interesting points to make. So very much looking forward to sharing that with you all after this break. Welcome back to the Inner Circle podcast. Sherelle McMahon and Bianca Chatfield with you. And as we mentioned just before the break, on RSN927, uh, we spoke with Ash Brazel on mm. The Breakfast Club about the week that they've had and, and put the season, but particularly the week they've just had. Yeah. Because In that- the first time they've ever won the Melbourne yes. Derby or Derby, depending on where you're from, yes. it's been the first time. And we know there's so much built-up energy mm. about who you know is going to win the rivalry, who's going to be the best team in Melbourne. And, you know, Vixens... Have pipped them every single time yeah. when Mel when Magpies were seen to be you know the, had all the champion players but they hadn't been able to combine it so no that's right and there's even been some questions early this season I know um, you know in some of their games particularly in the game against the Swifts um, that they played last week where they lost by sixteen goals there was some questions by the commentators being thrown around about how they are actually gelling together and so. We asked Ash this morning about how they approached the back of that and she had some really interesting comments about the tough conversations that they had during the week. I know you talk about um, these hard conversations um, and what it's like to be in a sporting team where you have those hard conversations. I always thought um, through my career we had those hard conversations, but um, after last week I definitely hadn't and this is my first time ever having a tough conversation. Um, it was pretty brutal but honest and... Um, I think we got told that if we um, played like that and, I guess, played our selfish brand and um, lived up to what all the commentators were saying about us, that we were never going to, one, beat the Vixens but be successful in this league. So um, it was pretty confronting, but at the same time, um, something we actually needed to hear. That is just fascinating for me to hear that from Ash Brazel. I've done some work with Collingwood. So in the last, oh, the first two years of Suncorp, um, I worked in the wellbeing space. So I worked as a consultant. So I'd be in and out, just making sure the girls off the court um, were in a good place and trying to provide as much support around them as we could. Um and I know the last couple of years there's been some really hard conversations had. So it really surprises mm. me that she says that it's the first time and it's been one of those weeks for her where these conversations happen. We know from the teams that we've played in that it isn't easy when you either things aren't going well or you're sitting down and you have to give each other feedback. Mm. I remember, Sherelle, the first time you did that with the Diamonds mm. and I was in the team and leading teams came in and they had, you sat out the front mm-hmm. and I remember looking at your hands and they're shaking <laughs> as you're in the chair and you and we all had to give you feedback about what we wanted you to start doing, stop doing and keep doing, like the behaviours, that's yep. what we had to And you had gone away and written it all yourself yep. and – we had to go around and there's 12 girls in the team. So 11 people in the team, one by one, had to give you that feedback as you just sat in the chair and listened to what people thought. Give me a bit of an insight into <laughs> how you were feeling because on the outside it looked like you were really concerned and worried about what people would say. Yeah, and 
that's probably my personality too. One of the probably the things I should have written down. That's a character flaw of mine, worrying about what other people think. But this was on the back of Liz Ellis doing her knee, um, and we were kind of preparing to go into a, um, a Commonwealth games. games, and so I had taken over the captaincy. So there was, you know, there was a, a lot going on there, um, and it was really. Incredibly confronting, but I guess the way that we approached that as a team was that, um, you know, there was some things that they, you guys wanted me to keep doing, which thank God there was a couple of things in that in that <laughs> column. Um, but the stuff that perhaps wasn't working so well was was laid bare. But also there was some support put around that in how we would work together with the individual to to help that. So I was the first one that sat up the front, and I think Coxie did it as well, yeah. Kath Cox. So. Um, it was really confronting because those conversations can be tough and I, I don't know that, you know, in any part of our life we, we find those conversations easy. Mm. Uh, I think in a sporting context it is a bit easier because you can frame it around your actual behaviours and what you're doing um, from uh, that perspective rather than you as a person. So that, I guess, made it a little bit easier. But those conversations, if you can get to a place in a team where you can be having honest conversations and it done in a way that you're not totally breaking someone down, yep. that's where the magic happens. Oh, it is so powerful, isn't it? Yep. It is so powerful. Another thing Ash Braz mentioned was conversations that they had had with Rob Wright. I spoke to Rob Wright in Bendigo when they were taking on Fever and I said, if Maddie Brown was still okay to play, how were you going to do this? How were you going to have four Australian, you know, world-class mid-quarters and how are you going to make it and how are you going to fit them all into the team? He said he had a conversation with them all where they were all going to rotate around. They'd all agreed three quarters each and he was going to rotate. We don't see that in netball very often, no, do we? No, that's right. We, I like that Rob Wright thinks differently. Let's take a listen to what Braz said about it. Ever since Maddie went down with her knee, um, we talked about having this strong mid-court where there was four of us and who was going to be on the court. Um, and it was hard because... The four of us had never really been on the bench before in the last, I guess, five years at least. Um, Rob sat us all down and said that he wants our mid-court to be where we could probably play three quarters each and be at 100% rather than having, like, this starting seven. And, like, we, we believed in it. We trusted it. We knew that we would decide that if we could do that, no one could really touch us. Um, and then Maddie went down, and it was the first time where we actually felt we now have, like, this missing gap in our team. We felt for Maddie because we didn't know if it was her knee. We got told it was and we got told it wasn't. And um, it was just kind of this emotional ride that I think a lot of teams, you don't really ride it with the athlete, but we did. So as you said before, B, it's it's interesting, isn't it, that those conversations have been had about, yep, we, we agree, we'll maybe three, play three quarters of, of a game each and all of them being okay with that. But again, it comes down to that, you know, that was an open, not honest conversation, but interesting to hear that um, the team maybe hadn't, really approached or addressed the fact that now their captain was out of the team with a knee injury. So, mm. you know, another another part of that, I don't know whether it's a healing process or just an acknowledgement of, you know, we've lost a really important cog in this machine and how are we actually going to to overcome that? And Kimi Oropoi um, has been introduced into into the team and she is another world-class athlete. So, 
you know, it's not a same for same, of course, but again, they're back into that position where actually they can have a lot of flexibility in that midcourt. Yeah, and, you know, when you are adding players, that's where it gets tricky too. When you're adding players into the team that aren't used to the culture, aren't used to the environment, don't understand the behaviours that everyone's expecting. And so you do have to give them their own little induction program, don't you, to get them up to speed pretty quickly. So these conversations, as hard as they are, they have to happen regularly and consistently no matter what's going on on the court. If you can keep all the off-court stuff at, at that same level all the time, that's what's helped you get the performance on the court. Mm. And so obviously they had a big week from a from a mental side of things, I guess. Mm. They obviously had those tough conversations, but the GPS data would suggest that they had a tough week on the training track as well. We wear those little GPSs on our back and um, our last week of training compared to the last, I think, six weeks, um, our intensity was just through the roof compared to the last six weeks. So it definitely showed that we weren't really pushing ourselves to where we wanted to. Um, so yeah, massive reality check and I hope that um, we can maintain it. That's one part of, I think, the technology in sport that's really changed a lot. And change, I mean, as I was finishing, we were starting to wear the GPS. But, you know, when I was in Darwin on the weekend, all the Sunshine Coast Lightning girls had a GPS on. I assume all the Vixens yes, girls I are do. wearing them as well. Yes. And this is why our sport is changing in terms of the fitness of the girls, the physical nature, is because we have all this data now where you can train a certain way mm. according to what data you're getting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love it. I love that we're going more down that track. Yeah, I do too. And it's it will be looked at in a different way. You know, Brad spoke about in the AFL, they can kind of look at direct, gee, I've run 12 kilometres this game. It's not That's not the data that we're looking for in netball, although we have that. Yeah. It's more about the explosive... Uh, efforts and how much that is repeated in a certain period of time. And I know at the Vixens, we're starting to look at some data around how training is replicating a game scenario. So how much of a training or even how much of the warm-up, what's the warm-up like? Mm. How much of that is replicating what you need to be doing in a training session or in a game sense? So how are you building that up? Um, and so I, I think it's, it's really the beginning of gathering that data and it will probably form, you know, how how the programs are built rather than it yeah. being a this is what you did in this game necessarily. Yeah. But it is really interesting. And, and that what, goes yeah. into selections as well. So, you know, the whatever data they're getting, the fitness tests then become not just your stock standard mm. fitness tests, but they become tests that test for the certain, yeah. you know, metrics that they're looking at in the data. And then you select players, the ones that you know that can keep their intensity and their work rate up at a certain level over a certain amount of time because that's more important when you're out there on the court than probably someone who can, you know, fade in and out. Yeah, that's right. And I I think the other interesting one um, that the Vixens are doing a little bit at the moment is that warm-up stuff. And at the Vixens, the different girls take the warm-up. Yeah. And depending on whether you're a shooter or a mid-quarter or a defender, the type of warm-up that they put on is different. So, so if the, you're a goalkeeper, what are you doing? Well, there's, mu- <laughs> well, there's much more jumping in yeah. there, the warm-up that they take. So it's quite interesting how the girls approach it. Anyway, <laughs> so that data will continue coming in, no doubt, and I think it's a really exciting thing. And one thing too that our listeners probably don't realise is the players all have a – I think it's a – you'd call it a well-being platform It's where – 
every single day, every morning, every night, they're entering data about how they're feeling. So they put in there how they've slept. They put in there, you know, what parts of their body might be sore, what training they've done that day. They rate the training in terms of the intensity. That data, as soon as you enter it in on your phone, is sent to all the medical staff that are around your team, is sent to all, if you're an Australian Diamonds player, is sent to all the Diamond staff as well. So they are constantly being monitored. And so, you you know, nothing goes missing. And as much as it's a pain in the butt to have to keep up to date with filling out all that information, it's how our sport is continuing to improve and continuing to push the boundaries. Yeah, definitely. And there's, you know, data around how hard a training session was, uh, how well you slept, if how the well coach thinks it's, you ate. You know, 90% yeah. intensity and you write 50%, oh, oh you are in trouble. Well, <laughs> even that's interesting because athletes might rate a session at a 9 out of 10 and another one might rate it a 5 out of 10. And that's okay because it's how the individual does it as long as it's consistent for the individual and then spikes or drops in that, uh, that's what's important yeah. for, rather than it being a comparison between athletes, although I'm sure there is uh, an aspect <laughs> of that as well. But it's, it's a, that is a really interesting thing because they are absolutely looked at from every angle and, gee, the, the Collingwood team obviously on the back of that loss to the Swifts were working harder in that week according to the GPS data than they have previously. So they've really had a rocket yes, um, they in did, a couple of they? different ways. The other thing we spoke to Ash Brazel about and it's it's one that netball, you know, in some ways is not concerned with but it's it's a talking point around whether we are going to be losing elite athletes to other sports. Of course, Ash Brazel, she was named in the All-Australian team this year for the AFL double. She had an outstanding season. She plays AFLW for Collingwood and netball for Collingwood. And we posed a question to her, could that happen outside that Collingwood structure? It's a tough one because um, at the moment my physio is the same over both sides. Jane Woodward Thompson, his high performance is over both AFLW and netball. So I guess in that aspect, it makes it a lot easier could it work? I actually think it could work if both clubs were willing to make it work. Um, and I think the other, like my issue would probably be going to another club, they would, I think if they've obviously tried to recruit me, then they would definitely try and make it work. I think would Collingwood then allow it to work is like the other thing. Um, I think it would probably be better if I played netball at a different club. Um, who doesn't have ASLW, so it would make it a lot easier. Oh, isn't that interesting, <laughs> Ash? I actually don't think she can play for another AFLW club. Really? Well, she thinks she possibly could. I know. So I... From a players' association point of view, the girls are contracted for 12 months. So the only way Ash was allowed to play AFLW as well was if it was housed within one club like Collingwood where uh, the insurance for her if she got injured could be covered by the club if she got injured for either playing netball or playing AFLW. If she right. was on a 12-month contract for Collingwood but then was playing AFLW for Carlton like Half was potentially <laughs> suggesting. That's right, Daniel Half, <laughs> the coach of the Carlton AFLW team, was maybe doing some recruitment work. Um, yeah, that wouldn't work because then there would be all these arguments around who actually covers her when she's injured, You know, whose responsibility is she, at what time of year when, when she's playing mm. AFLW, she's in pre-season for netball. So so that was one of the tricky things that we had to work through for her to allow it to happen in the first place. And we actually had to put Ash in the draft and just, fingers crossed, no other club touched her because most other clubs understood that the insurance was going to be the biggest issue that they had to get around. So they had to leave her right to the end yeah. of the draft and then Collingwood could get yeah, her safely. Yeah, because in fact, if another club had picked her up, 
potentially she wouldn't not she was not going to be out of play yeah. yeah so it was it was a lot of work done behind the scenes but that's where it was always her passion she loved it yes. she's always wanted to play footy and mm. so everyone behind the scenes netball australia collingwood we're just trying to make it work for her and it's just been awesome. And she's right in a way that, you know, potentially in the future it's not going to be able to happen anyway because you're going to be such a specific athlete in a certain sport that yeah. you won't be able to cross over. Yeah, and that, and that's my hope. I mean, I always compare, for example, the AFL um, with the BBL, you know, we see some female athletes cross over between AFLW and WBBL. Um, you would never see a male athlete cross over from AFL no. to the the BBL because they're two specialised sports. But we're seeing that at the moment with female athletes, which at the moment is great. Um, and I think it's fantastic for those individual athletes to have mm. those opportunities. But for me, the hope is that we get to a stage in female sport that, all the sports are so professional that you couldn't possibly cross over between those two or three sports. No, not all. Now, I want to touch on the Vixens-Collingwood game just to finish off. As much as it was a good win for Collingwood, Vixens probably had their worst game I've seen in a long time. But Collingwood weren't that great either. Like, it, there was just a lot of errors. It, the balls are going everywhere. It wasn't a a high standard of netball, I don't think. So both teams probably are not as um, happy as what we've probably made out. In, in terms of, it was great calling we got the win, yeah. but I still like feel like both teams have a long way to go because it, mm. it certainly wasn't the best netball. And, Sherelle, you need to fix those first quarters. How do you do that? Yeah, well, it's a good point because in a couple of the matches this year, even in the win two weeks ago against the Sunshine Coast Lightning, we were down, I think it was 8-3. Um, early in that first quarter. So it's certainly something that um, we need to address. And, um, you know, it's a challenging one because, you know, on the back of that performance against Lightning, you know, we were up and we the, the team wanted to, to do really well going into this Magpies match. And, of course, there is something a little bit extra because it's the Crosstown Rivals. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, um, we weren't able to bring the energy that we really needed. Now, maybe there's some different factors that are going along with that, but... Um, the challenge now for the group is there's there's two two matches between now and when the diamonds leave and there's yeah. a break in the season um, against the Firebirds and the Giants. So two big games um, and they need to be able to turn that around. So how do we do that? Good question, B. We're working very <laughs> very hard on a lot of different aspects of that, but. Um, very uncharacteristically high turnover rate from mm. our girls. You know, that I think we've prided ourselves for many, many years on uh, being able to keep possession and that's just not what we were able to do. Through pressure from Collingwood, absolutely, they put on some great defensive pressure but um, from some pretty basic errors too. So we'll be addressing that as the first port of call. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> we shall reassess how you went next. Uh, Next week uh, yes, on we, this potty. <laughs> absolutely, next week. And, of course, there's some big games happening again. Now that one, uh, the Magpies up against the Sunshine Coast Lightning now shapes up as a, a really important match. The Magpies with their tails up a little bit and the Sunshine Coast kind of going along pretty well they, as well. They went okay on the weekend, but I think they've still got to just eliminate all their turnover ball. They threw a lot away up in Darwin. Yes, absolutely. And the Swifts against the Giants, that again, Woo. that cross-town uh, derby and the, the rivalry there is, as always, building uh, between those two teams. So we've got a lot to look forward to and to chat about next week. B, it's been fun again. Um, so much to talk about, Sherelle. So much to talk about. <laughs> we'll get back to it. Let us know a couple of... 
Uh, those things, whether you think that there needs to be do extra we get rid time, of the do we get rah, 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 rah huddle? Rah, at the do end? we get rid of the huddle? That's the biggest question for us. Let us know, and perhaps we'll chat about it again next week. We will. Thanks, Pete. <laughs> See you then. <laughs>